This week on the Magnificently Huge Podcast, if you don't like spoilers, well, you're gonna get your knives out for us. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kinda like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Welcome everyone once again to the Magnificently Huge Podcast. My name is Brian, and this week my friends Chris and Eric will join me for a spoiler-filled discussion of the new Ryan Johnson thriller, Knives Out. Uh, We're going to get into that. Our spoiler-filled review will come after our usual segment where we talk about the other things we've been watching or doing, and in that we'll hit uh, Charlie's Angels, Honey Boy, On Becoming a God in Central Florida, uh, we'll take a trip back to high school with Good Boys and Booksmart, and we'll revisit a few things we've talked about on the podcast before, including Ford versus Ferrari, Baby Driver, and the 1971 Evil Knievel movie, if you can believe that. Uh, this is December. So I'm going to start linking to my amazing Christmas music playlist this year with a little less silliness and a little more seriousness to to even things out a little bit for you. So check the podcast show notes for links to the Spotify and the Apple Music versions of those playlists for your holiday happiness. And now, always feel free to rate the podcast, share it on your social feeds, all that good stuff. You can find us on Twitter. We are at MagHuge. You can find our Facebook. We are the Magnificently Huge Podcast. We are on Instagram, and uh, you can check out our website. It's maghuge.com, M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com. You can also send us emails at magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. Okay, we got a heap and helping of movies to talk about, so uh, let's get to it. Hi, everybody. I'm Brian. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge podcast. Hi, Brian. Thank you. This is Chris. Welcome as well to the Magnificently Huge podcast. I'm Eric. <laughs> and that's Eric. <laughs> uh, Hi. We're off to Eric. So show. yeah. Hi, Eric. How, how's everybody doing today? Hi. Oh, tremendous. Super tremendous. I'm feeling s- that Christmas spirit, by gum. Uh, are you? <laughs> are you really? You're not feeling the Christmas spirit? <laughs> no, I never feel the Christmas spirit. I know it's your favorite season <laughs> and all, but uh, I'm not on board with it. Yeah, because it's goddamn Christmas. That's why. Yeah. I've got some uh, Christmas spirit coming up when we get around to my segment on the fresh shit. This shit is fresh. Oh, shit. That is fresh. This stuff is really fresh. Ooh, dropped it. Yeah. Dropped it. Of course it. I did. Like it's hot. That. Yes, this is the segment where we talk about what's new, what we're reading, what we're watching, what we're listening to, and let's go with Eric. What do you got? Okay. Uh, f- first off, this is not so much a fresh shit, but I did finally watch Baby Driver, and I think you guys oh. are on drugs. That movie was awful. Really? <laughs> it had like a couple of interesting car chase scenes, but otherwise it was poorly developed characters speaking a lot of cliches, and at one point they're given even more dialogue, and instead of sort of filling out these characters, they just sort of spread on more cliché. It's like, you can kind of tell these were all very surfacey characters that were just there to look cool, and they weren't. It was it was annoying, if anything else. Well, you're wrong, but that's okay. <laughs> okay. But, uh, yeah, you're entitled to your opinion, man. Uh, yeah, but that was just I, my opinion. Yeah. No, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was, uh, it was effervescent fun. It is by no means uh, deep art mm. uh, but i enjoyed it, it was, as a glossy fun romp that's what I it wasn't even it. that it was more like okay i've seen this movie before it's several different ways that were all better and this is sort of like it can't decide if it wants to be serious or cartoony yeah you know it's like either either it's silly because it's a kid who listens to music and drives fast and that's cool that's fine and then it, it it becomes heat where people are getting their heads blown off with shotguns and you know John Ham is displaying his inability to play anything but Don Draper. Yeah. I, I just saw it as hyper stylized, 
right? Like it's a very stylized, yeah. alternate, you know, heightened reality thing. And it's yeah. fun. Uh, but if you've seen the video for the song Blue Song by a band called Mint Royale, that's the that's something that Edgar Wright directed like years ago, like 06 or whatever. Uh, and that sort of was the impetus for the movie. So it's it's definitely a, a music video movie. Uh, but I was not annoyed by it like I am for other stuff like that. So I'm yeah. sorry you didn't th- like it. I think it's the same problem I had with Crash, where it was like you knew that whoever was making this had an idea that they really wanted to... It's like, we're, we're going to see this because, damn it, I need to write to that moment I really like where a guy's listening to his iPhone and driving. And whether or not it makes sense, we're gonna get we're gonna crowbar that scene in there, and we're gonna, yeah, I don't know. I I just it, like is it? Yeah, it's hyper stylized, which is fine. But I I like I guess a little more to it than that. I, here's the problem: I wrote in my head a better film. That's basically the problem. I thought this movie was about one thing, yeah. and it turned out to be about a lot less. Well, okay. Do you think you were a victim of? expectations then like people had talked it up and so you you wanted more out of it than you got i i think that's probably fair because i love edgar wright i love car chases i i know the soundtrack is really good i was like yeah i guess i was probably expecting a lot more but once i saw that he wrote and directed it i was like i think i'm in trouble because there aren't many solid tours, you know so you think he needs a writing partner like Simon Pegg or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. Huh. That's fair. You're still wrong, okay. but it's fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing I watched is a, a show on Showtime. I watched the whole first season because that's all that's out right now. It's called On Becoming a God in Central Florida. And I highly recommend this show. On Becoming a God in Central Florida. I know nothing yes. about this. Never Tell heard me. of it. Uh, yeah. Kirsten Dunst is married to a guy who is balls deep in an MLM, a multi-level marketing scheme uh, called FAM. And he, he, he's, he keeps talking about how any day now, any day now it's going to take off. It's not a scam. Any day now it's going to make us rich beyond our wildest dreams. And I used to work in the, not as a salesperson, but in the corporate office of a um, multi-level marketing scheme company. And so I was watching this going, oh man, I know these people. Um, <laughs> I, I saw the trailer for this, right? And and then she has to move all this shitty product and she just screws people over? Kinda. It's, oh, the nice thing is it's a lot more, there's a lot more going on. It's like, yeah, that's, that's what I kept expecting to happen because structurally mm-hmm. the first episode is the first episode of Weeds. Right. The the woman whose husband dies leaves her in the lurch and she has to resort to shenanigans to survive. And it just gets darker and weirder from there. It wasn't as predictable as weeds, I guess is what I'm saying. It doesn't think of weeds as being terribly predictable, at least not in the first few seasons. The first the first season, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, woman who's going to sell drugs to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I it was like it was easy to to understand. There wasn't a whole, there weren't a whole lot of levels. This is a show where absolutely every character is irredeemably shitty and you can't (laughs) really be on the side of anyone. And, uh, even the sweet ones turn into shitbags and it's so fun. Um, and, and yeah, there's also how awful MLMs are. And it's set in like, I think 1990. So you get all the real nineties music. Uh, you get all the real 90s fashion. And Kirsten Dunst does not have a rockin' body. She has the body of a woman who earns minimum wage and lives off of the food she steals from the water park she works at. And I really appreciate that level of bravery. Hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Has it, is it a new show? Is it? It's a new show. Uh, new? Just, just, just premiered this year. Okay. Just got renewed for season two. Wow. It has, I think it's a show that's a lot more about, you know, American poverty than anything, but it is also. Interesting. That's sort of the, the, the illusion of, of 
success in this country. That's sort of bespoke of the the magnificent level of Showtime marketing that I've never heard of this thing before. <laughs> so that's interesting. They're not getting any yeah. press. I'm, I'm literally, this is the first time I've ever heard of it. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. We, I, we I found had it seen like, the the trailer, and I didn't remember the title. <laughs> so oh, okay. Yeah, we were just rolling through stuff. You know, we got like Showtime for a month through Amazon because, you know, us cord cutters, we can do that shit. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we, we checked it out and on a lark. Noise. It was pretty good. Noise. Yeah. Okay. And so that's, that's, my, that's my stuff. TV. It's good stuff. And now I'm going to pass the mic to Mike. Come on, Ad Rock. Do anything you like. <laughs> I'm the king ad rock. That is my name. Never mind. I'm not going to start um, that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Is it my, is it my got, turn? Yeah, turn to me. Uh, I will say, uh, first of all, shout out to Eric, because I did watch Evil Knievel, the 1971 movie with George <laughs> Hamilton the other night uh, that we talked about in a recent show. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, right. You totally undersold how fucking weird that movie is, Eric. <laughs> I swear to God, you did not prepare me for how just insanely ridiculous yeah. that thing is. So, kudos to that. Uh, yeah, it's uh, okay. Dropped him through the phone. Okay. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> so yeah. So thanks for that. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that it is. It is. Yeah, you're you're right. It is. Um, it sneaks up on you. Yeah, I think is like the best way. What, to put it. But the way it's structured, it's like basically evil can evil just doing narrative, uh, and then they flash back to whatever scene from his past that really has no bearing on anything that's going on in his current life, uh, right. other than this is just the weird shit that he used to do. But it was like one where he was a <laughs> child in Butte, Montana, and they're just talking about all of the sinkholes. Uh, that sort of maybe gave him the the daring do that he was known for, and like this car just drives up and falls right in just out of nowhere, and he just walks over and looks <laughs> at the edge, and then that's the scene. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Uh, and then and then this other time, you know. So yeah, uh, yeah. But it and just, of course, this is before anyone had you know basically could worried about their subject matter in a biopic going yeah that shit didn't happen yeah. or anything well, this was strictly a marketing yeah move. no this was definitely a case of if it comes down to printing the truth of the legend print the legend uh to mm-hmm. a t so yeah so thanks for that people can hear you talk about it on our uh preview show happy thanksgiving uh other than that i did fall down it's like a weird super bad rabbit hole uh, where I watched two movies that are definitely uh, inspired by Superbad, but took totally different approaches to it. So the first oh, one I watched tell was, me you didn't see Good Boys. I did see Good Boys. Oh God! Uh, <laughs> oh why? <laughs> which is which is like a like a preteen, twelve-year-old uh, version of Superbad. I watched uh, so many movies and I deliberately did not watch Good Boys. I, I just, it came out and I'm like, yeah, whatever. But then I just sort of randomly came across it and I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever, I'm bored. Uh, its main selling point and its hook is that it's, yeah, it's it's an R-rated movie with 12-year-olds that say fuck a lot. That's basically it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. But it's got the rudimentary story where the kid fucks up and they got to do the thing to make it right by the end and then they're getting kind of girl crazy. Uh, it's all pretty standard stuff, but there's a scene towards the end where they all realize that uh, they're heading into middle school and they need to grow up a little bit, and they kind of all just sort of disband all all of a sudden, like like the three main characters, and then they do this montage where they're all doing their own things and sort of finding themselves and being happy, and like the one kid goes through like three girlfriends, and the other kids like got his <laughs> his like uh, like security guard. Uh, hall monitor buddies, etc., and then they meet up at this party and kind of reacquaint themselves. And then you come to find out that it's been like a week. <laughs> I'm like, that's the. F- <laughs> I'm like, that's fucking perfect because they're middle schoolers. So like, time just has this weird distended reality to it. So a week <laughs> right. is really feels like a, a year. So that was that was the whole reason to watch that. Um, and from the French montage. montage. So it's yeah. eh, it's. Eh. Uh, but then I did follow that up with Booksmart, which is the like the female version of Superbad. It's basically right, like that's a, supposed to be good. It's actually very good. In fact, if I could describe it 
in any way it'd be it's a classier version of Superbad because they don't rely on the potty humor so much and the characters seem more grounded and real. Because uh, they're girls. Yeah, I guess. Well, it's not hard to be the classier <laughs> version of Superbad, <laughs> yeah. but anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's actually very funny, and it's got the kid. It's the classier version of Movie Forty Three. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> Eric's favorite. But it's got uh, Beanie Feldstein, who I guess is uh, Jonah Hill's sister, if memory serves. She's one of the main characters, and then her other friend. Uh, and they're basically they've spent their entire high school career studying and not having any fun, so that they could go to the next level and then the day before they graduate they realize oh shit we have not had any fun all these other kids have had fun but also studied and they're going to the same schools that we are so fuck so then it's all about them (laughs) going to the party etc etc and the wild adventure that happens from there Uh, but it does have the kid from Santa Clarita diet the I can't remember his name right now but oh the the guy who looks like he's about 30 trying to play 16 yeah 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 okay yeah. The Schnurry fella. Yeah, and he plays sort of that type of character in this, but that's his niche. He plays it well. Uh but yeah, it's 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 fun. It's got a few few interesting moments. Uh very funny. Uh so if you like Super Bad, uh I would recommend it. It's actually got a little bit more to it than that. Uh but I feel like that's the new trend where like John Hughes started all of the eighties teen comedies. I think I feel like Super Bad is finally starting to kind of filter its way into the the teen culture and we're going to see sort of movies based around that idea i don't know that's my highfalutin theory that's what i'm sticking hmm. to um so yeah so this week it was what evil knievel good boys and book smart uh i need to get a life so next all right um let's see so i'm it's december which means that even if we don't really talk about it much, I am going to put the Christmas music playlist in the show description. So check the show description for links to a Spotify list or an Apple Music list. And I got to say, uh, a tweak this year. I apologize for overemphasizing the the silly and the shitty and not bringing the sublime into it uh, for my Christmas music playlist. So this is the long form. Sublime did Christmas music? You know, they probably did, but I haven't yeah. gotten there yet. Um, no, but but uh, my actual Christmas playlist has a whole bunch of actually good, listenable Christmas music. And if you play it on random, then the funny ones pop up every now and then and don't wear out their welcome. Uh, Is this that so, song that you uh, sent us the clip for? Well, so I did want to I, I did want to call that out because I came across this album this year when we were looking for more stuff to to add to the list. This fella, J.D. McPherson, uh, did an album in the last couple of years uh, called Socks. And it is an album of all original Christmas music. Uh, no traditional carols, but he's recorded it using vintage gear. So it sounds like it was recorded in the 50s. Um, oh, that's cool. And uh, yeah. the songs are I hilarious. I listen to it. It really does. Yeah, I listen to it. Uh after you sent the clip and it really, it really does sound like yeah, it could be on like a Perry Como album or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well so it blends in with your Christmas playlist because it, it nestles itself in there. Like there's other, there's other bands that try to do like the Motown sound to greater or lesser effect, but this one is, is solidly in there. It sounds like it's an old recording. And yeah, and he's not being ironic. He's, no, he's no, shooting he's, for, no, he's sincere. And the, uh, wow, that's cool. I like that. It was punchy. The song sucks. Like he's got that sort of just standard Christmassy type song about I can't believe you gave me this lame gift, and then (laughs) and then it jumps into the chorus where it's just socks. Socks. This is the worst gift I ever got. It doesn't be bubbles or bubble rattle in the box. Why'd you waste the paper on a lousy pair of socks? Very well done. It, it's good stuff, so check that out. All right, so movies. Um... How how surprising do you suppose uh, the the experience of watching the Charlie's Angels movie would be? 
Uh, I would Utterly be, underwhelming. Yeah. I would be very surprised if you say you went. I went. Oh, I'm very Other surprised. Other than that, <laughs> there aren't very many surprises. Um, does it, it is does exactly it need to have what it more like. surprised if you said, I saw it and it's wonderful, you know, or I saw it and that, 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 uh, uh, Kristen, what's her face was dynamic. Actually, she was. Uh, Kristen Stewart is good and funny and holds the screen uh, when she's on. Too bad nobody Um, went and saw it except you. I mean, it's true, and it is kind of too bad. So this is, you know, this is very much, um, um, oh, my brain is failing me. The woman who directed it, um, Elizabeth Banks. Elizabeth Banks. This is very much, she wrote it and directed it, so she's, it's, it's all on her, but it's very much her attempt to make a, an action spy movie series for 12-year-old girls. This is aimed directly at tween girls, and I mean, it should resonate with that audience. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, it's just, you know, did not find its audience. I think what I was saying before about it, which is it's aimed at tween girls, but tween girls have no connection to the source material. They're not, you know, watching it in the 70s when it's the the thing on TV and it's Vera Fawcett. They're not watching it in the 2000s when those same audience had grown up and was watching Drew Barrymore. Um, so this is, it has to be a fresh introduction. So were they taking it seriously? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's dead serious. In fact, um, the premise of this is that Charlie's Angels is very much like um, like the Batman Incorporated comic or, you know, what we say about James Bond, where the role gets passed from, from person to person. Uh, Charlie's Angels is this global thing, and there are several Bosleys, and they franchised it out. And in fact, uh, there are actually shots of the original 1970s Angels and the 2000s ones in this. It's it's supposed to all be one big continuity. Um, mm. The the Charlie's Angels cinematic universe. <laughs> yep, it's the, the Charlie's Kaku. Angels cinematic yeah. universe. Yeah, the Kaku. The Kaku. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I don't, I don't have anything to say about it. If you're a 12 year old girl, maybe check it out. It's not as bad as well, the, the reputation. It, it has I, nothing in it for Eric or Chris. I, not even Kristen Stewart. I'm a big fan. Uh, so when we had mentioned it, <laughs> so when we had mentioned it previously, you had you had likened it to potentially being like a Kim Possible movie without Kim Possible. Does that stand? Uh. I don't know, because I never actually watched anything other than the opening titles of Kim Possible when it would that's pass all you by. Need. That, yeah. That's all you need. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. I have no idea. The concept is there after okay. the credits. Okay. I mean, it's it's um, it's Spy Chicks, and it, it's they're recruiting a new one, and oh, God, okay, so the, the woman they're recruiting has programmed, she's the lead engineer on this um, magical Tony Stark power technology that can also be used as a weapon, and uh, she knows how to ha- to hack it, but it's not. It, and they could have just had that be the the thing that you know she's familiar with the thing she was lead engineer on. But no, they actually have a magical hack device that can hack anything, um, uh. which they never use. So they could have just not done that, and the story would have been intact. But for some reason, they had to draw a reference to the magical. Maybe they knew the this hack movie machine. was. Maybe they knew this movie was going to be a failure, and so they had to work hacking into it to ensure that. Because anything with hacking sucks. <laughs> Do the hack. So it's basically yeah. just a, a big, disappointing goose egg. Uh, <laughs> you know, two and a half it's, out of five stars. I've seen worse. Does it? How does it stack up against, say, Mission Impossible Two? I have not watched Mission Impossible 2. I've seen like so every other Mission Impossible, but not two. So it stacks up very well, is what I'm hearing. Okay. It stacks up to the extent that I bothered to watch Charlie's Angels. Um, <laughs> okay, fair But enough. the other Mission Impossibles I've seen are better than this. Okay. So I, I, I am starting to feel, Brian, that you will dance to anything. <laughs> You'll dance to There is a movie out. You'll go see it. I mean, well, he wouldn't go see depending good on boys. what movies are out. Yeah, he wouldn't go see I didn't, good boys. Yeah, I didn't go see good boys. That's true. Yeah, That's true. But he will go see Charlie's Angels. I think we've got the ba- we've <laughs> it, got the baseline set. 
it it pretty much comes down to what else is playing, right? Okay. Um, okay. So uh, to redeem myself, a uh, couple I have a the Noah Jupe double feature uh, this 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 week. Who is Noah Jupe? You ask. Why? Yes. Noah. He is he is the son in Ford v Ferrari. Okay. Um, which I went and saw. Yay! Um. Boy, the sound design. Can we can we give a shout out to the sound designer on Ford v Ferrari? Because it's, it's lovely. damn, it is lovely. I you feel those engines. I, I felt the whole movie from start to finish. Uh, when you left, did you feel like you had to control yourself and pretend you were on Le Mans? Because when I went home, I was zipping in and out of traffic, pulling like <laughs> God, like zero to sixty in point seven seconds or whatever I could muster. Uh, I mean, no, good. but I can see why you'd be there. I, w- I I remember going like to an arcade in the mid-90s and playing Daytona USA and having that experience, leaving the arcade. And when I was driving home, I had that thought, like, I bet there are people who leave that movie <laughs> yeah. who, who do that. And apparently you're one of them. Yeah, I'm one of them. I couldn't help it. I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, uh, <laughs> like a driver at Le Mans. It was good. And I Googled, um, you know, fact versus fiction, and it turns out that it was actually a pretty accurate movie. Um, the It's basically a biopic of the character Christian Bale plays, who yeah. I didn't write the name down. Ken Miles. Uh, Ken Miles. Um, and I didn't know, for example, I didn't know anything about how the race ended, uh, but of, of course, Ken Miles fans would very much know, and it seems like they wanted to be respectful of the the Ken Miles fans which who would have to be like in their 70s by yeah, now. Yeah. Um and and Carol Shelby, right? I mean strangely less historically them, accurate really with racer? Carol Shelby. I mean huh. he's he's more the supporting player. I mean they they're kind of co-leads and they you know they sort of have a you do your thing, I'll do mine. But in the end, it's uh, it's it's the Ken Miles story through the eyes of Carol Shelby is how I'd put that. Yeah. Well, that's interesting, actually. Yeah. Which is which is fair. But uh, my favorite scene, I have no idea if it's historically accurate, but my favorite scene in the whole movie though is when Henry Ford II comes to shut him down unless they can show him something. And so <laughs> Carol Shelby puts him in the car and yeah. basically just drives him Mach 7 around the racetrack until he basically <laughs> just starts crying. Uh, and Sadly, has this, not like, total, historically accurate. Yeah, I checked but, it out, but But it makes great for scene. great film, yeah. And it was, so, <laughs> it was so funny to watch that. So, yeah, good times. And that's the guy that wrote uh, August Osage County, by the way, uh, the guy that played Henry Ford II. Which is a mm, real, yeah. which is a real downer of a, a script. Terry Letts. Yeah. So he's a he's he's actually yeah he's a big deal playwright. Yeah. So it's kind of like a, a new Sam Shepardy sort of a deal, I think. Anyway, continue. Continue. Yeah. So Ford v Ferrari. Uh, it's got a lot of good reviews. I don't know that I loved it as much as Chris did. I think it was a little bit on the long side. Um, yeah. But it's a good time at the movies. Uh, solid. Three and a half out of five, I'd say. I feel that. like I feel like it's a good throwback to just classical cinema, the way it's constructed, and I appreciate. Oh yeah, that. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, it's it's a total dad movie. Like this movie should have come out on Father's Day in a big way. It, <laughs> yeah. it came out opposite Frozen too, right? Where, yeah. So like, I guess it actually went up in box office from where it had been the week before. Being a counter program to Frozen Two because people were like, "No, no, we're going to this." <laughs> no, what it is, it's all the dads going. Okay, I'm going to drop you off. You go see your goddamn cartoon. I'll be over here watching my car movie. We'll meet in the middle. That's what that is. Yeah. So yeah, because because I can't be responsible enough of an adult yeah. to actually sit in a movie with my child. Yeah, people suck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um. The the other half of my Noah Jupe double feature, Noah Jupe plays the young Shia LaBeouf in Honey Boy, oh, which I went and saw. Interesting. So, good, bad? Um, riveting. I don't know if it's a story. It's kind of um exactly what it says it is. Okay. Shia LaBeouf got himself uh, in thrown into rehab, and he wrote this script as part of 
convincing them to let him out of rehab. Nice. And and it shows. Then he did it. Um. So, so yeah, I mean, first of all, Shia LaBeouf as his abusive father, uh, he does not hold back, and is pretty abusive to young Noah Jupe. Um. So is it? Like a literal life story thing, or did he alter details to make it more of a fiction? Well, he was on drugs at the time. <laughs> no, he was trying well, to get off of the drugs, man. So the scene yeah, was coming down off of drugs at the time. Yeah, it's part of it is is he's kind of meaner to his father than he is to himself, and part of that is that the scenes of twenty year old Shia LaBeouf, you know, being a fuck up, are edited and shot in such a way that he's clearly fucked up, and so are you the audience, so you, it's hard to really, like, get a grip on what's actually going on. It's definitely got a sense of heightened reality. The character's name is not Shia, um, you know, so he's renamed the characters, but at the end, they literally just have pictures of him and his dad uh, in real life. His father was a rodeo clown. Um, well, that explains it. Y'all a bunch of so, pussy party clowns. <laughs> I mean, it's it's clearly clearly about him. Whether they whether he fudged some details, I mean, I'm sure he took some dramatic license, but it's pretty raw. Um, it's it it really kind of strikes me as an art piece, in that it's it's very much his sort of self expression. He's not telling a story. There's not really an arc. It's just kind of this is what happened. This is who my dad was. I'm trying to reckon with it. All right. And you saw Peanut Butter Falcon, right? Oh, yeah. Peanut Butter Falcon is better. Okay. Okay. Um, but, I mean, LaBeouf is, is good in this, and he was good in Peanut Butter Falcon. But Noah Jupe is great in this. The kid is amazing. He's a really good actor. Keep your eye on him. And I'm sitting there watching this movie, and I'm I'm watching this I believe Noah Jupe is 14 years old as of the recording of this podcast. The actor playing a 12-year-old Shia LaBeouf. His voice hasn't changed. Um, he, you know, he hasn't filled out. He's definitely a kid. And, you know, he's smoking and he's swearing and um, there's a hooker. And, um, like, and he's getting, like, cigarettes thrown at him and he's getting hit. And, um... Like, I'm sitting there going, I, what I really want to see is the behind-the-scenes footage of how they made this movie and how does Shia LaBeouf make a movie about how he was abused as a kid actor where he's abusing this kid actor playing him and then, like, what happens after they cut? Like, how do they make it not You're hoping that his kid? parents were on the set, is what you're saying. I, I'm hoping <laughs> yeah. that as soon as the cameras stop, Shia LaBeouf is like, are we cool, man? Are we cool? I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> you know, I didn't mean to hit you in that last, you know, or something. But, um, because makes it's me think of the, so abusive. Makes me think of the kid in uh, Close Encounters when the when the aliens come and he starts crying. <laughs> like, knowing how that scene is shot, uh, where Spielberg basically just kept the camera rolling and they just made the kid just bawl his eyes out. Like, did they apologize afterwards? I don't think they did. That's what it sounds I, like I, you're what you went up for. It's funny. I, it made me think of Jodie Foster when they were making Taxi Driver and everyone was freaked out about having to do the scene with um, the pimp, you know, and, 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 and psychologically fucking with this, this girl. And, and Jodie Foster's 13 at the time. And Jodie Foster's the only professional on the set who's like, it's a job, guys. <laughs> yeah. I know what a hooker is. I know yeah. what a pimp is. Come on, yeah. let's just shoot the fucking thing. Let's go. Yeah, but I mean, if you're making a movie about how being a child actor fucked you up, and then you're fucking up a child actor, I don't know. I, I'm curious how that plays out. Anyway, um, I'll it bet was... that really went into the casting, though. Like the conversation about you know, so so you're you're well grounded, right? Unlike me, because <laughs> that's kind of what we need. Yeah, I kind of lost my moorings. A little bit here. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's really great for that kid, especially, um, you know, hey, good for you, Shia LaBeouf. I'm glad you're out of rehab uh, and you got to make this movie about your dad. Uh, it's kind of fucked up, but good for you. And that's all I got. That's fresh it. Fresh don't matter. Fresh is the way. Fresh. 
All right. So, uh, a while back we did our fall movie preview episode, and I think we were generally aligned that the movie we were most looking forward to this uh, this winter was Knives Out. Yes, and correct. Are we going to use for the intro music to this episode the the Radiohead version or <laughs> the uh, Flaming Lips version? Uh, I would actually recommend uh, an alternate. Uh, if you will, a huh. left of center, I would say "Backstabber" by the OJ's would be a worthy uh, intro. You're you're Just both saying. wrong. I'm gonna use the spoiler bumper. This shit is spoiled. What do you mean? Spoilers. Damn you! Damn. Spoilers in case we trip it up. I don't necessarily want to go full spoilers unless unless that's where we go. But uh, if you want to go I've, into I've, knives out cold. Just stop here. Go yeah. watch Knives Out, and then yeah. come back. Because yeah, seriously, seriously, it's going to be hard good, to talk about even without if fucking we do it up. Try and keep the spoilers out. We're gonna fuck up. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even gonna try, honestly. Okay, so, so full spoilers for warning. Knives Out from here on fair in. Fair warning. Right. Well, because you figure it's been out for a few weeks by now. So yeah. so good luck. You know, good luck. Okay. If you uh, if you good because I I've been just I've been like just gritting my teeth. Like worrying that I would let yeah. it out, but God damn it, Delta Burke with pairing shears. Who saw that ending? Who? Th- <laughs> I mean, Delta Burke doesn't even show up yeah, for like the first hour and forty five minutes, and then it's like Delta Burke. Yeah, and she's not even credited. Good job, Ryan yeah. Johnson. It's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> Eric, have you seen Knives Out? Yeah, I. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. What? Why did you guys see a movie where Delta Burke wasn't the killer in the end of it? I saw I mean, the. Uh, I, I, saw, I thought I watched it. I saw I, the director's cut of Knives Out. <laughs> That's what I thought you were describing. <laughs> so yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, no, so, it, it was that, that, that ABC TV movie, right? Yeah. Good I have stuff. seen it. I've t- okay. I saw it last night. Yes. Okay. Oh, okay. so it's still f- fresh in your head. Cause uh, I saw it like a week Brian. ago, so I'm yeah. I'm gonna be a little rough. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Okay. Uh, so let's let's set the stage first for the people uh, who want a little rundown, because it's very uh, yeah. Agatha Christie with a twisty kind of thing. Yeah, it's got uh, some Hitchcock yeah. going on but, in it. Yeah. Uh, but I think personally, I think the more interesting part is that the rich are going to get what's coming to a motherfucker. Yeah. That's what well, this movie is about. Well, that's the enjoyable part, because if you're familiar <laughs> with Agatha Christie parlor dramas, and this is definitely from that school, it's the the rich gentry in their big fucking house, ignoring all the help, and then somebody gets murdered and they got to piece it all together, but then you get like that upstairs-downstairs sort of BBC vibe, where it's, you know, the, the help are definitely in their place, and the Blah blah blah. They got a lot of that going on in this, but they very much have updated it to the, just the the fuck stick uh, president mm-hmm. situation that we've got going on, and how that sort of parlays out into everything else. Basically, so there's one of the a things... family. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, okay. I was going to say it's a family of rich kids, adult rich kids, uh, 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 of a. 95 year old head of household who made all his money uh, writing mystery novels Uh, he he dies they are not sure if it's a murder or a suicide and when they interview all of these family members they come to find out that they're all pieces of shit who may or may not have killed a dad (laughs) much like in any parlor murder mystery and there's a famous detective who is there but he doesn't know who hired him yeah right so part of the mystery is why is he there in the first place? Which, and I gotta yeah. tell you, uh, I, Dan, Daniel Craig in the Hercule Poirot type role, <laughs> fucking genius. I swear to God. Yeah, yeah. He was so enjoyable to watch, which is refreshing. Uh, I was, was sort of like log- thinking log- log- he log- was the killer for a while there because he's so full of shit. <laughs> yeah. It was good. I, I, I went there too. Like, yeah. I... I kept second guessing this movie in ways that I guess I shouldn't have. Um, well, so <laughs> Ana de Armas is our is our protagonist. She is yeah. the nurse who was helping Christopher Plummer, who is um, Harlow Thromby, who killed Harlow Thromby from the uh, Choose Your Own Adventure book. Um, 
Harlan Thrombey. Not literally that yeah, character, but, he's, but he's yeah. there's a lot of references. Character. There's yeah. clips of murder she wrote. Yep. They talk about the game Clue. Yeah. I mean, they know where they come from. Well, they even use the, uh, like the, I, can't, I don't even know what the prop is, but it's like some weird fisherman's head or something that's actually in the house in Sleuth with Olivier and Michael Caine. <laughs> they actually use that prop in this house, which is modeled on the house in Sleuth. It was all just very intricate. I loved it. So Ana de Armas is our protagonist, uh, and she um, is is worried that uh, she is either actually the killer or is trying not to be seen as the killer because it's it's complicated. God, I don't even know she's how to wound describe into it. The, yeah, she's wound into the plot in such a way that you're not sure if you're not sure if it's her you're not sure if it's one of the family members yeah everyone's pretty much set up pretty well yeah so yeah. possibly be yeah. she, killer. and she had the gag that i was second guessing though because the the deal with her character is she has this affliction where she literally vomits if she lies she's incapable of yeah. of lying and getting away with it and i kept waiting the entire movie for that to be bullshit yeah. and yeah, for her me to too. finally me too. Yeah. like Pull a fast on everybody and, and have been vomiting on you know on purpose to throw people off. But no, the movie is playing <laughs> yeah. this straight. This character legitimately throws up if she lies and still has to to navigate this twisty turny yeah. movie. Well, I love that. And if that wasn't the case, we wouldn't have a movie. Yeah. Because it seems like a lot hinges on her barfing. Well, and I like the fact that Daniel <laughs> Craig's detective sort of realizes that she's sort of the inverse of a human lie detector. So he's going to ask her all the questions and he's going to gauge her response and know if it's right or wrong. I thought that was funny. <laughs> I think I loved the moment, though, when they go to question her after they find this out. They, they bring her into the questioning room and she just says, can, can I get some scope? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. So it, very good. And I like that it's a, the, a slow unraveling at the beginning because you, you get the murder right up front. So you know what's going on. And then boom. Yeah. And then boom, you're into the investigation, but you don't see Daniel Craig right up front. He's just sort of hovering in the background as they're doing the that fast cut, cross cut with all of the, the dipshits. Uh, and there, it's it's an interview with all these different family members telling what happened that night. Yeah. And it's very Yojimbo because it's their own perspective. And it's like the first 10 minutes. And I'm like... Holy God! Is this the entire film? Are we going to have nothing but interviews yeah, yeah. with these people? But that exactly. was the other thing that that threw me off, Eric. I was expecting it to be more Yojimbo, where each person's perspective would tell a radically different narrative. But no, actually, it was just yeah. These people are all remembering yeah. it accurately. <laughs> but I love how it was just all inter- intertwined, and so they're all just sort of rotten fruit from the same tree, uh, sort of thing. So it's just little variances in their perspectives, but it's still all pretty much equals the same thing. But they all had motive. And so yeah. through the whole thing, I'm going, uh, and then as you start finding out that that Harlan Thrombey was going to cut everybody out of the will, I started thinking, uh, well, overthinking it probably, going, I bet you he didn't even really kill himself and it's a fake yeah, suicide. Yeah. And I'm like, but no, but they've got the body and they got the whole thing. I'm like, then you start like spiraling off on that. I'm like, oh, so this is, I, oh. I think that's the main trick that Ryan Johnson has pulled off here, right? He knows you're going in there looking for the fake out. And so he just plays it all completely straight, knowing yeah. you won't believe him. Like, the the amazing thing about this movie is he tells you exactly what happens without lying about it, without misdirecting you, and yet still has a mystery <laughs> worth yeah. unraveling by the yeah. end of it. Mm. He he definitely sets I, it up with the expectation that everybody has watched enough reality TV and shit like that to kind of just start going, okay, this is where it's going to go. I know it's going to go here, and then it doesn't. Yeah. I just want to say, because I... I, I thought it was very well done, but I think it's entirely forgettable. I'm not going to remember this movie in another week. Uh, I But I, I like that he didn't... He he didn't he he didn't go as fantastical with the twist as of course we did because we've seen too many of these things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He just had a very intelligent misdirect. You know, uh, it, it was it was a sort of a double negative 
that it, a triple negative that killed Mr. Thromby. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. A donut and, hole and that's and really that has another donut in it that has another no, hole no, in the yeah. donut. Yeah. 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 I'm merely <laughs> I like that. Uh, I think it was like I said, I think it was a very smart film, but I'm it's not gonna stick. I mean it's not something that's Yeah, it's not it's, a classic. Right? Uh, no, I no. would. I would disagree. I think it's going to have some legs. And just, the, I think based entirely I knew, on uh, on Craig's performance. And the thing is, I knew you would say that, Chris, which make you know makes me think. See, I know you like these kinds of stories, so I think maybe what I don't like is just the genre. You know, yeah. it's like when you see a good western and you go, "Yeah, it was good," but I don't like westerns. I think that's pretty much what this is. Yeah. This is a mm. good film in this genre i'm just not down with the genre but it's very well done so eric the movie you need to see is ready or not because if you want the weird aristocratic family getting their comeuppance uh th- there's a lot of parallels uh between this movie and ready or not except ready or not has the you know the girl who's on the outs uh killing the shit out of the the rich people um, <laughs> which seems like more know, your movie I'd- yeah, I didn't. I, it's not like I was. I didn't get enough revenging or you know enough blood or anything. Like I said, I thought it was very well done, and I was I was along for the ride. I well, you know, but but I'm just saying it's like the the references the. I don't know. I don't know how to put it. I just I, I'm not I'm not into the the parlor murder mystery. Which, yeah, sure, and which is which is fair. But if you've watched enough. Uh, then this one's strengths become very apparent because I'll tell you the, the remake that Brahma did of murder on the Orient express a couple years back, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. not a very strong movie in my opinion. It looks great, but I just don't think it was an appropriate retelling of that particular story. And yeah. that made me sort of kind of go, Oh shit. That means that we're not going to get any good <laughs> ones uh, because it's just that it was very apparent that it's if not handled appropriately it's a tired genre i think ryan johnson just like he did with last jedi where he injected a lot of stuff left of center that no one was prepared for and made everybody's heads just fucking explode with that one who's in the star wars (laughs) i think he kind of took that flavor into this and he gave us enough of the cliches and the tropes but then he just twisted them enough uh to where it stood out you know what he really likes to subvert your expectations doesn't he yeah uh, and I do like that beyond, he kind of knew that there there were going to be people like me who aren't necessarily into the genre because, like I said, yeah. the real sort of reason for this film existing is to showcase rich people being <laughs> yeah, fucking just assholes. assholes. And yeah. even like like whether you're left wing or right wing, it doesn't matter. The because yeah. they're both represented in this family, and none of them know for sure what country this nurse comes from. Yeah, that was one of the best running jokes. <laughs> Everyone thinks she's from a different <laughs> Latin American, yeah. uh, Hispanic country. I, doesn't everybody Your wish Brazilian that, nurse. That, that the Tony Collette character was actually played by Gwyneth Paltrow, though? Like, ah, no. she's <laughs> basically Gwyneth Paltrow. I would have hated it. I, I would have hated yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, I just watched like the first 60 seconds of her in this, and I went, God, I love her. She can yeah. do anything. <laughs> it's pretty funny. But for the so, uh, but for getting the uh, the origin of Marta uh, incorrect every time, I also like the fact that every time she was talking to one of the family members at the beginning, they all lean in, you know, how you doing, kiddo? And they're all lovey-dovey, treating her like she's a second daughter, and then leaning in going, well, we wanted you at the funeral, but I was outvoted. And every single one yeah. of them said it. It's like, so you know, like the first time you hear it, you're like, okay, that's fair. I, they, they love her. But by the fourth time you hear it, you're like, all these people are full of shit. Oh my yeah. God. I missed then, that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so. See, I need to watch this movie a second time. I need to see a second because I want to see, uh, you know, all the things that you missed once yeah. you know all the details, right? Yeah. Well, once you know the mystery, yeah, you can start I, looking at the details. I got to say. Yeah, there's only one thing that like made me. I mean, I, I I I thought a lot of different people were the killer. The thing that made me think that it was Captain America was that okay, there there's this indiscriminate Latin origin woman who's working class in the house that everyone treats like you know the immigrant in the house, the guy 
who's age appropriate for her does not look at her as the total piece of ass she is. It's like, it's, <laughs> he should have been going, what are you talking about? She's fucking hot. I've got to get some of that. No, no, no. She's still the immigrant. And I was like, okay, so that's not right. <laughs> he must be the killer. <laughs> yeah. But certainly if you're going to, like, I don't, I don't know why, why did they have to cast someone hot in that role? Ana de Armas? Cause she's awesome. Yeah. I mean, Oh, she's a great actress. There's no, I'm not, I don't have any quips about that, but it's like, I mean, it's, everybody it's like in the movie is hot. Someone... Wait, th- who is not hot in this movie? Like, at least, it, I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis and Don Johnson and their kid is Chris Evans, which, by the way, is totally believable. I'm looking at Jamie Lee Curtis and Don Johnson and Chris Evans in the frame, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that could totally be their kid. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Everybody's yeah, if, hot in this movie. If, yeah, if Sonny Crockett and the final girl had a kid, that would be him. <laughs> Definitely. I don't know. I thought everyone looked like appropriately old and or hairy, except for maybe, you know, Captain America. Well, this is a good opportunity to actually talk about the cast a little bit because it's casted impeccably as far as I'm concerned uh, because they play with those expectations. So you got Don Johnson playing sort of the the rich guy, but he's not actually rich because everything is his wife's because of the prenup. Yeah. And he plays it. Uh, very suave, but underneath you're like, oh, this guy's a dirtbag. And it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, you've seen Don Johnson play this type of role before, uh, but not quite with the relish he's got going here, I think. Uh, so that was fun. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis just being just a ice queen bitch, uh, which was <laughs> fun to yeah. watch because uh, she doesn't normally get to play like that. Uh, and knowing that she's married to Christopher Guest and he's actually... Uh, like loosely related to royalty in the UK. Uh, it makes you wonder how much she's observed over time because it really played off in there. It was really funny to hmm. watch. Um. Okay, so Chris Evans as General, General Zod. General Zod, Michael yeah. Shannon. Yeah. That was Possibly probably the most my favorite surpri- yeah. performance by Michael Shannon I've as, seen. As Walt. Yeah. It was really, <laughs> after you've seen him in so much stuff of late, it was a total reversal of his persona. Because he was just... So they had to work in the scene of him being menacing. Yeah. He's always menacing. Yeah. But he sucks at being menacing. Like, he's yeah. a schmuck. Walter's a schmuck. Yeah. And he, when he tries to be menacing, he's still a schmuck. Yeah. You know? And then him and his uh, his wife, who's barely there, uh, and then their little alt-right troll son, yeah. who's constantly now, on his And the phone. wife is, what's her name from another period? Uh, Rick Garfunkel and Oates. Yeah, Ricky Lindholm. Yes. Uh, so that was good. Uh, you got... Uh, yeah, but just not used. I didn't understand why yeah. she was in this. She was completely... I don't. Did un- she even have a line? Shit, yeah. Like one or yeah, two? Yeah. Like the right-wing troll th- son had like three lines, and he was a total waste. I mean, as I understand it, uh, he was written into this movie as a reaction to the trolls that were pissed off about The Last Jedi. Yeah. And it was Ryan Johnson yeah. flipping them off. Uh, well, honestly, does- just as an aside... I don't think it, it did the movie any favors to be so clearly set in the year 2019 where they're talking about Trump and what Trump is doing and you know it, yeah, it dates that, the that movie won't play well. a movie yeah. that could totally be timeless otherwise and it has no bearing on the story or the plot yeah and yeah. why is that there they were very they were very careful not to say his name yeah. but, but kids in cages yeah, is kids in cages I, mean, I think the reason they put that in there was just to show that they, they're po- the political leanings don't mean anything, yeah, because they are on both sides of this well, argument. Plus, okay. it also makes real- you wonder when Agatha Christie was doing her stuff, how much of that was rooted in the politics of the day as well. I mean, it's it, it's hard to to say for a fact on that because I don't know the the social history behind most of her books, but it seems like that would be the the flow through. I don't know. Anyway, the other daughter of Christopher Plummer is Tony Collette. Yeah. Um playing the the hippy dippy new agey con artist I, chick. I read a tweet about a New Yorker article on you. You're famous. <laughs> <laughs> she was so her, vacuous. Her daughter, who was the actress who played her daughter? I don't remember. Uh someone named Catherine Langford. I'm not familiar with what she's in. Uh, I know I've seen her why. in something she's, else. Yeah. 
She's this year's winner of looks the most like the chick from Ghost World. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I I thought that she was going to... There were a few scenes where they were clearly setting her up to be the, the actual bad guy, and then that didn't go anywhere. But Yeah. Um, uh, twists and turns. Uh, yeah. And then Chris Evans, of course, Captain America as a total douchebag, which was fun to watch. Relishing uh, the chance to just... Uh, yeah. There's one shot where he just goes... Eat shit, eat shit, definitely eat shit, eat shit, <laughs> and you know he loved that. Yeah, like, yeah. And then the like all of the memes that his sweaters have spawned as well. People are swooning over those cable knits, <laughs> like there's some new fashion statement. It's just amazing. Uh, very New England. Uh, and then uh, Lakeith Stanfield is the detective who was. God damn, was, that's right. Yeah, oh. he was in. Uh, uh, sorry to bother. Sorry you. to bother you. Yeah. Uh, like one of my favorite movies last year. <laughs> yeah. So the cast is very strong, but I got to tell you, to me, this is all Daniel Craig's movie, honestly. Yeah. I mean, he just, he comes in real subtle, like, and then within 20 minutes, he's taking control of the entire thing and it's all his. I absolutely be- would believe if they, if they made a sequel with just a whole new murder and threw Daniel Craig into it, yeah. it would still work. I would oh, Ryan Johnson that. did an interview uh, where he says to the camera in the interview, he's like, just please go ma- go watch this movie because if we could make <laughs> yeah. this a hit and I could make another one of these with Daniel Craig every couple of years, I'd be the yeah. happiest man. Like, yeah, I would, so yeah, I would. He totally wants I, to do it. Yeah, it'd be even funnier if he said, "If you do that, I won't have to make any Star Wars movies <laughs> you don't like." Uh, but yeah, I would definitely be on board for any more Benoit Blank movies because he's just he got that sort of perfect pseudo Poirot eccentric detective. Uh, thing and down. he has a history that they don't talk about. Yeah. That's what I love. Yeah. We know vaguely that he's a famous detective, like in all these goddamn books, but they don't say why or how. Yeah. Well, I, I lo- like that. I love the whole character too, because in the script, apparently Ryan Johnson wrote him just as an aside. He has sort of a a, a soft Southern lilt, and they had no idea that Craig was going to come to the reading with that fucking accent. That well, weird it's the same accent he <laughs> yeah. does in Logan Lucky, right? Yeah, it's similar, but a little different. But uh, but yeah, and he nails it, and he gets to say stuff like, uh, "Oh, he's talking about the kid. What did the Nazi child hear while masturbating in the bathroom?" Yeah, <laughs> that was great. It's probably my favorite line in the whole movie. Uh, and then the whole thing about the the donut hole with the donut with another hole with another donut. <laughs> this method, he's so nuts. Uh, but yeah, I could watch another movie with that, no problem. I think that would be hilarious. Okay, so yeah, uh, I guess you guys liked it. I thought it was okay. Uh, yeah, I I think it was just I think if you watch it again, I think it'll reward repeat viewings. Aside from rooting it in the very much now. Yeah, uh, I I very nearly went and saw it a second time, but Honey Boy was playing, and I had to go see Honey Boy. Yeah, yeah. Which is fine, yeah. but uh, but Johnson does a lot of just really subtle flow through stuff that you probably wouldn't notice a lot at first, like especially with his thematics going with the whole uh, like social divide. So you've got all the rich fuckers and then the help, uh, but then when Marta goes home and you find out she, her mom is a, an immigrant who's here illegally. And the first scene with them is in the kitchen and her sister's over in the corner watching TV really loudly. You can already see the generational shift and disconnect mm-hmm. so that the youngest daughter is totally, I'm an, I'm an American now and she's all entitlement, entitlement, entitlement. You can just see it. And then when you find out that they've gotten the inheritance, that's the first thing the sister says, are we rich now? So you can already see <laughs> just like the, the Thromby family where the kids are disconnected from the fact that they grew up rich. So, yeah. uh, you can the kind poison of, yeah, begins. and you can see the well being poisoned at a very early age. It's like, so that's how it happens within like a generation or two. It's just boom. I thought that was a really strong, subtle, but strong flow through for the context he was going mm. for there. It's good stuff. Well yeah. done. Well played, Ryan Johnson. <laughs> yeah. So check it out, I guess. I, I don't have anything else to say. Four out of five stars. The highest rating I give a movie in the show. Ever, <laughs> well, this I would, episode. Yeah, I would give it four out of five. I would say it's not a five just because uh, it's a parlor mystery, and not everybody's going to want to see that. I loved it, but you know, 
Always room I for improvement. It was, I thought it was well done. Yeah. I thought it was well done, but, you know, you, you have to like this kind of thing. Yeah. And it says Which something really about the quality of movies we've been getting this year that this is one of the better ones, but yeah. Well, yeah. I think it's good that you can yeah. get a, a mid-budget like this because it was made for like $40 million, and it's already made its money back. Which is awesome. Yeah, I'd say that's the important lesson. Stop making so many fucking superhero yeah. movies and actually put some thought yeah. into the like movie. Go, go back to the model of the 70s, early 80s, where you could have a studio yeah. that did a bunch of, you know, mid-budget. And then, you know, if they... if they, I'll say I'll say that for, for this movie. You know, for, you, you, well, you absolutely know that it was written completely before they shot a frame of it yeah. it isn't like they were oh, making yeah. crap up no. like most films where you can tell that structurally it's all over the place because they didn't know what they were doing this was written yes, yes. It was a literary movie if if anything it had a beginning it had a middle a middle it had an end, had an end. If, if it breaks it's funny if it doesn't break <laughs> that's not funny and, uh, and this podcast had a beginning a middle and this is now the end uh if yeah. you like this show share it with your friends on your social media feeds rate us on your podcast app of choice and you can always find us on our website maghuge.com m-a-g-h-u-g-e.com really important for you to tell us what you want to hear here because we love doing requests yes we would like to have a request so that we would love it. Please, yeah. show up. Make it happen, people. Uh, reach out to us with your requests on Twitter. We are at MagHuge. Uh, or send one to us. On, find our Facebook page. We're the Magnificently Huge Podcast. Uh, find us on Instagram. I, I never check that, but I, I, I'm told we have one. Um, or email us. pictures. MagnificentlyHuge at gmail.com. And uh, keep, you know, subscribe to the podcast and we'll we'll catch you every week for more of this. Yeah. Catch the mouse, shove it down, shove it in your mouth. Stay.